Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to My on Mondays. For today's episode, we have a piece by Idaho-based author Alice Nelson. Alice's work appears in literary journals such as Short Fiction Break and Ouroboro, and she's currently working on a semi-autobiographical novel based on her years being bussed into a predominantly white neighborhood in the 70s. She's also hosted two podcasts, Creative Mind Fiction and Small Town Stories, and will be releasing a new revamped podcast called Have I Got a Story to Tell You this year. Also for this year, she is the recipient of an Idaho Commission on the Arts grant, and keep an eye out for her at the Treefort Music Fest in March, where she'll be doing a live show of her new podcast. Her piece today is titled My Right Hand Man. I'm Alice Nelson, and this is my right-hand man. The devil doesn't wear Prada. He actually prefers Dolce & Gabbana. Satan, the Prince of Darkness, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, was sitting in the Tasty Brew Cafe sipping a latte and keeping a close eye on one Emerson Fivish. Emerson was a curious fellow tall but hunched over as if ashamed of his six-foot-five-inch frame. A thick, unruly mane of yellowish hair sat atop his head, and that pasty complexion of his was always covered in a thin layer of sweat. Emerson was a walking cliché. The owner of Fivish and Sons Funeral Home was right out of central casting, a skeletal figure in dark suits who had a tendency to scare small children and adults alike. Emerson was sitting in the food court at Carrington Mall, backed by Wang's Chinese and American food. It was a great place to observe people without also being observed. He was watching Judy Hightower, manager of the Chic Boutique, a clothing store for the full-figured gal. Emerson had been tracking her movements for weeks. I mean, he had to. How else could he plot her demise? And this brings us to the reason why Lucifer decided to pay this realm a visit. Why he was in a cafe, pretending to be a dapper gentleman, simply enjoying a latte and reading a paper. The devil doesn't leave the underworld for just any old reason. Oh no, he only makes an appearance when there's the potential for mass destruction. To scope out a potential candidate that could help spread his brand of chaos. And Satan, Lucifer, the devil, or whatever, thought that Emerson just might be the one. I'll take a double latte, no foam the devil said to the barista. Emerson met Judy Hightower when she came to the funeral home to make arrangements for her dearly departed father. Even in her grief, Judy entranced him. It only took that one visit and Emerson was in love. At least it was a reasonable facsimile of love. 
And each time Judy came by or they talked on the phone finalizing arrangements, Emerson's heart did a little pitter-patter, as if he were some young love-struck teenager. Emerson made sure Judy's father was well taken care of, and he was right by her side at the gravesite. After the service, Judy made the mistake of gently touching Emerson's arm when she said, Thank you so much for all you've done. Now that would have been a simple gesture of kindness to you and me, but to a pathetic soul like Emerson, it meant that they were practically going steady. Emerson let a respectable amount of time pass after the funeral before paying Judy a visit. He had no idea how to pursue a woman, but Emerson gave it the old college try. Judy seemed surprised to see him standing at her door. Well, wouldn't you be if the mortician who buried your father showed up without warning at your home weeks later? Judy, being grateful for Emerson's kindness during a difficult time, invited him in for tea and these delightful lemon-glazed cookies. Before leaving, Emerson said, I had a lovely time, Judy. Judy nodded, which in Emerson's mind meant that she had a great time as well and that she was ready to take their relationship to the next step. So when he asked her to dinner the following week, imagine his surprise when she declined the invitation. But why, he asked. I thought we'd gotten on so well. We do, Emerson. And I really think you're a nice man. Emerson winced. Even he knew that meant he had no chance with her. But Emerson, I'm seeing someone, Judy continued. It's only been a short time, but I really like him. She touched Emerson's arm again and said, I'm truly sorry for any misunderstanding. A misunderstanding? Emerson said to his neighbor, Deaf Ed, who was called this because he refused to wear his hearing aid. Ed was 67, specialized in homemade whiskey, and was the silent sounding board Emerson needed. Misunderstanding. Each time Emerson said the word, it left a bad taste in his mouth. Does she think I'm a fool? After all I did for her, she goes off and whores around with some other man. She used me so she could get a good deal on her father's funeral. That's what she did. I just know it. Well, she'll pay for this. Ed nodded. And because his lip reading was subpar, he thought Emerson said, How much should I pay for this? As in the whiskey. No worries, neighbor, deaf Ed yelled. The whiskey's on me. They're just weak, Malthus, Lucifer said to his loyal servant. And as usual, Malthus nodded, because he couldn't do much else since Lucifer removed his tongue centuries ago. I have no idea why God saw fit to save these wretched creatures. Then again, I never understood him. Malthus listened and nodded again. He hated the upper realm and would be happy. Well, he'd be less miserable anyway once they were back home. Let's give our Emerson a little push over the edge, shall we? I'm in the mood for some good old-fashioned mayhem, the devil said. It was more of a nudge than a push, but Emerson didn't need much coaxing to go from a jealous rage to a murderous one. He sat in the dark recesses of the food court and saw Judy holding hands with another man, a man Emerson thought wasn't good enough for his Judy, because that's how he thought of her as his Judy. Then he watched in horror as Judy kissed this person directly on the lips before heading back into the boutique. So she chose him over me, Emerson said to himself, clenching his fists so tightly that the nails bit into the palms of his hands. 
And as Lucifer sat in his usual spot at the cafe, with his usual latte and the always miserable Malthus by his side, he smiled a devilish smile. Judy and her boyfriend Carl were on their way to a quiet dinner at Monty's on 5th. Emerson, who had been sitting outside of Judy's house every night for weeks, followed them to the restaurant. Once they were done, Emerson timed it perfectly so that he would run into the happy couple on their way out. Oh, hello, Emerson, Judy said, her arm casually laced through Carl's. It's um, nice to see you again. Emerson knew she didn't mean it, but put on the best face he possibly could, which wasn't that great, let me tell you, and said, Lovely to see you too, Judy. Carl stood by, looking from Judy to Emerson and back again, sensing some tension but not sure why. Hi, I'm Carl Duncan. Nice to meet you, he said to Emerson and held out his hand. Emerson shook it, and Carl instantly regretted it. Emerson's grasp was limp and moist, and poor old Carl did his best not to wince. When the handshake was over, Carl discreetly wiped his hand on his pant leg. Well, it was nice seeing you again, Emerson, but but we have to go, Judy said, eager to leave. Well, of course, I wouldn't dream of keeping you. Nice meeting you, Carl. Carl nodded, making sure he did not reach out to shake Emerson's hand again. The lovebirds left, and Emerson heard them laughing as they walked off. He was certain that they were laughing at him. They weren't, but when you're a self-absorbed narcissist like Emerson Fivish, you often saw offenses where there were none. As he headed to his car, Emerson said to himself, I gave you one final chance to make this right, Judy, but you didn't. You won't be laughing when all is said and done. All of the pieces are in place, the devil said to Malthus. Now all we have to do is sit back and wait for the fireworks to begin. The fireworks, as the devil so succinctly put it, occurred just a few weeks later. Emerson wanted to see firsthand the destruction his handiwork would cause. So he brought Deaf Ed with him to the mall, hoping it would make him look less suspicious after it was all over. They are all disgusting, Emerson ranted to Deaf Ed. These mindless fools who waste their money on things they don't need, smiling like idiots as they spend their way into more and more debt. Look at them, he continued. Mothers dragging along their little brats, worthless teenagers with no purpose in life except to wear the latest trends. All of them make me sick. Ed was nodding and sipping on a cup of black coffee. He added a little bit of his homemade hooch to kick it up a notch. Emerson went on. None of them appreciate all they have. Friends, love, happiness. It just comes so easily to them. Emerson was setting the stage rationalizing what he was about to do. What began as an act of revenge against Judy turned into an act of retribution against the whole world. The world that rejected him, laughed at him, treated him like he didn't deserve to be among them. Now Emerson had always harbored violent thoughts long before he met Judy. And I could give you some sob story about his horrible upbringing being the cause of this, but none of it would be true. Some people are just born with the propensity to do evil. Emerson had a normal childhood, a loving mother and father. This was just the path he chose. I believe it's time, my good friend, Emerson said. And Deaf Ed smiled. The sound was deafening. Emerson didn't expect it to be so loud. 
Just after the explosion, all he could hear was a high-pitched tone ringing in his head. Then that subsided and was replaced by the shrieks and wails of the injured and uninjured alike. Red Robin was one of Judy and Carl's favorite lunchtime spots, and they ate there every Friday around one. People are so predictable, Emerson told Deaf Ed. The Red Robin was hectic at any lunchtime during the week, but Fridays were a whole different animal. And if you arrived when it opened and sat inconspicuously at the bar, the way Emerson had every Friday for weeks, people would just forget you were there. Even if you were six foot five inches tall with a yellowish head of hair, you would be rendered practically invisible to the busy staff running around like headless chickens preparing for the Friday lunchtime swarm. So no one noticed when Emerson walked toward the men's room and placed a device underneath the table at the booth where Judy and Carl normally sat during their Friday lunches. And Emerson was long gone when Carl and Judy finally arrived, snuggled into their favorite booth and held hands as they waited for an order that would never come. At approximately 1.15 p.m., an explosion ripped through the Red Robin, sending shockwaves throughout the entire mall. Emerson watched with Deaf Ed from the safety of the Tasty Brew Cafe. There were people running everywhere, and Emerson was thrilled. He nearly orgasmed at the sight of the bloody diners who managed to make their way out of the chaos. He had to bite his lip in order to stop himself from laughing. And Satan, Beelzebub, or whatever you want to call him, took notice of this. Then, in the distance, Emerson, who was already experiencing a high like never before, saw a woman in a purple dress with long, dark hair stagger from what was left of the restaurant. It was Judy, half of her face blown off, her one good eye searching for someone, anyone, to help her. She collapsed into the arms of an EMT, and Emerson smiled when the paramedic shook his head then mouthed the words, This one's dead. It's done, Emerson thought. He was exhilarated by the power he exuded over these worthless mall dwellers. But those feelings quickly dissipated when Deaf Ed laid a hand on Emerson's and said, Let's talk, my friend. The devil is a trickster. When he visits our realm, he could be anyone. He could be a suave gentleman at a coffee shop wearing a designer suit, or a deaf neighbor who was a sounding board for Emerson's sadistic plans. This time around, he was both. Emerson stared at the old man in disbelief. Don't look so surprised, Em. I've been watching you for a long time and I must say, Deaf Ed or Lucifer or whatever name you choose to call him, leaned in conspiratorially and said to Emerson, I could use a man like you in my organization. Who are you? Emerson asked. Ugh, don't insult me. You know exactly who I am. Emerson did know. And he also knew, felt in his bones to be exact, that he'd been helped all along in this act of revenge by a devil who pretended to be his elderly neighbor. I have a proposition for you, Emerson, the devil said. One that you can't refuse. I mean, literally, you can't refuse it. And seeing Emerson's shocked expression, the devil said, I'm just kidding. Lighten up, Emerson. Well, what if I do turn down your proposition, Emerson asks. I don't know why you would. I mean, a man who killed dozens of people in a bombing because he had his feelings hurt shouldn't have any qualms about working for me. Don't you agree? 
Emerson sat stone-faced, pretending to think the offer over. But he knew he would take it. Not so much because he was afraid of the devil, which he was, but because he enjoyed killing more than anything he'd ever done before. They sat in silence for a few more moments, watching bodies being carried out on stretchers, some alive, some not. Then Emerson said, When do I start? And the devil laughed. (laughs) You already have, my friend. You already have. That was My Right Hand Man by Alice Nelson for Ming Studios, My Mondays. Thank you for having me. Adios. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next Monday. Tune in.